Hey there, and welcome back to Jorge and John Talk About Soccer. We've got a lot of exciting games for you today. End of the round two of group stage games, and we've got a whole round three to preview for you. I am John Block, joined as always by Jorge de Neve. Well, here we go. End of match day two. A lot of exciting games. I think, you know, a lot of one nil games last time that we had to talk about. Uh, none this time, though. Really, really good games the past few days. Yeah, it was it was so much fun to watch, and I'm. It's really kicking off now. The World Cup has warmed up. Everybody's ready. Everybody's playing pretty well for the most part. So, a lot of fun to talk about. Yeah, definitely. So let's hop right into it with a two-no win for Brazil over Costa Rica. It wasn't an easy win for Brazil. They didn't break down Costa Rica until the ninety-first minute when. Coutinho was able to poke a ball into the back of the net, but they managed to do it, and then add a second on top of that. Were you more surprised that it took Brazil this long to break down Costa Rica, or how frustrated Brazil got that they weren't able to score for so long? I'm honestly not all that surprised that Brazil gets frustrated because they're kind of a team that knows they're very, very talented and I think expects to be scoring early. And I was a little surprised it took so long because I think they had plenty of chances, some some bad finishing. I think um, Gabriel Jesus hit the bar with a header. And probably moments when they had a shot on and they decided not to take it. But, I mean, credit to them. They fought through. Um, they won a couple headers in the box, which they probably wouldn't have done previously. And Coutinho has quietly been great, kind of, Good finish for him, and then Neymar got off the mark. Maybe that kickstarts him, especially because he looked increasingly frustrated as the game wore on. Um, I think you could kind of tell when he dove for the penalty that got called back by uh, VAR. Um, but I, mean, I think it's it's a good result for them, and I think those two goals might finally get him really rolling. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I think on the point of the, the penalty, that was a pretty interesting decision they made because... I don't know that we've seen a lot of penalties being called and then, and then ruled like taken back. So, I mean, I think that was the correct call and one where I think they had to be at least a bit more courageous than they have been in making the call. So uh, I was glad to see that because, I mean, it was, it was a total dive by Neymar. But because there is a little bit of contact there, I think, you know, it might be something where I, I wouldn't be sure that, that VAR would would make that decision even though they, they should and ultimately did. Yeah, I mean, it's good that they um, they had the, the guts to call that one back because it was a clear dive and when he really didn't need to dive. What I will say is I think he probably should have been booked for that. But other than that, I mean, they got it right. They took the penalty away. It didn't matter in the end, but it it's VAR is working like it's supposed to. And I think for the most part, they did a better job of that. These since we last talked. Yeah. Agreed. So that definitely helps them in their group after tying against Switzerland in the first round. We'll get to what that group looks like as well as all the, all the others when we get to previews. But for now we'll move on to a, another two nil win. This one for Nigeria over Iceland. After coming out looking pretty flat in their first game, Nigeria looked really solid in this one. Yeah, they were better. I think um, Nigeria is a team that plays very, very well when they play direct. And I think 
um, playing with Ahmed Musa and um, Iannaccio worked a lot better for them. Um, granted, they weren't great in the first half, but I think they, I don't know what was said at halftime, but all of a sudden they came out in the second half and they were they were firing. And uh, especially Musa, who looked very, very sharp and he looked more like the player that scored two goals against Argentina in 2014 than the um, Ahmed Musa that we've seen for Leicester, who has really done nothing. Yeah, I I would agree with that assessment. Iceland, before Nigeria scored, I would say looked slightly like the better team to me, but Nigeria had a really excellent counter, and and Musa's touch before, I mean, he had a nice finish, but his touch to settle the cross from Victor Moses before that was, was excellent. Stellar, yeah. So I would say a deserved win on the whole for, for Nigeria, especially you know being able to break down an Iceland team that is known for defending so stoutly and obviously was able to hold Argentina to a draw, although Argentina have, have their own problem, so maybe that's not as, as big an, as an accomplishment as it might, might first seem. But definitely impressed, definitely thought that Nigeria's Substitutions bringing in Musa and Heinacho worked as much as I think Alex Awobi is a good player. He definitely did not have a good first game, and I think really didn't see any meaningful minutes in this one. Probably for that reason, and probably wisely. Yeah, um, you got to feel bad for Switzerland and especially Gilfie Sigurdsson um, for flying his penalty. I mean, if if he makes it two one, they got a shot, but. He missed that penalty, and I think that's kind of when the Icelandic heads dropped, and they were like, okay, we're not winning this game. But, I mean, Nigeria deserved it for their performance in the second half, definitely. So, moving on, we've got another game in the Brazil-Costa Rica group, a 2-1 win for Switzerland over Serbia. Switzerland coming back from 1-0 down to overtake Serbia in that one. I think... Both goals for Switzerland in this one were were pretty interesting. The first one was, you know, an absolute screamer from Granit Xhaka that seemed like when he first shot it, it was maybe somewhat close to the left post and it just had so much bend, it was close to the right by the time it went in the back of the net. Really maybe his second most patented trait for Granit Xhaka after constantly getting sent off. So, I mean, good good for him to get that goal. I know you still don't really rate him as a player. I would tend to agree, but a really nice goal. No, I don't rate him, but, I mean, he has a long shot on him. So, like, when he catches him, he catches him well. I didn't really know he swerved it like that. Um, and he hasn't made any rash challenges yet, but I can easily see him getting sent off the next game anyway. The other goal, though... I, I didn't quite understand what the Serbian center back is trying to do playing an offside track when Shakiri was in his own half and could not have been offside anyway. And I think without that, Shakiri's caught. But, I mean, Switzerland fought back. They stayed compact. They hit on the counter. They did what they needed to do. I think they deserved it in the end. Although, I mean, you got to talk about why haven't they gone to VAR when Mitrovic is tackled by two players? Yeah, I mean, the definite concern for Switzerland, the the area of the game that they definitely got beat out in was kind of aerial balls. Mitrovic had a field day against Fabian Schaar. That's, you know, that's how he got his goal. It's how Serbia got their goal early in the game. But yeah, I mean, 
the just the Serbian strategy, they already won their first game, so they've got a leg up in the group, especially with no other team having won, because Brazil and Switzerland drew. So I don't know why they were pushing up so much. I mean, you can question the individual Serbian center back as far as you know not playing close to Shakiri and playing him onside, but trying to play him offside even though he's in his own half, definitely confusing. But the fact that there weren't, there basically was one player in the Serbian half when Switzerland has a player like Shakiri who is you know especially good on the counter because he he's so pacey, just makes no sense to me when when you're in the position that Serbia was in, tied one one, being first in the group. Yeah, that was that was bizarre. I mean, there was really no reason for them to do it, but I mean, they did it. I think they were a little naive. I think they they smelled blood in the water when it wasn't really there. And I think instead of just being satisfied with the point, put yourself on four points and have a really, really good shot to move on, even with just a draw against Brazil. They were a little naive to try and go for that win and lock up their spot already. But moving on from that, next morning, Belgium 5, Tunisia 2. Did this tell us anything? It, it still didn't. The Belgian offense still looks excellent. They put you know five goals past Tunisia. The defensive concerns are still there. They gave up two goals to Tunisia. I just I want to see Belgium get an actual challenge of a game because I still haven't been able to say, oh, maybe this team is better than I thought, or okay, this team really does, you know, have these these flaws like I think they do, because they just haven't played a good enough team to, to confirm that. Yeah, I mean to me, Belgium is that um, team that basically says doesn't matter how well we defend we're going to score more than you and I think that is so clear in the way Lukaku plays because it's it's very very different what Roberto Martinez does with his attacking players versus what Jose Mourinho does at Manchester United because I think Mourinho's idea is oh we have all these attacking players I need to give them discipline so that we aren't giving up too much space defensively. And Martinez says, we have all these attacking players. Ah, I'll let them attack. I don't care about defending. And Lukaku's got four goals and all four very well taken. But again, I, I still don't know how well they're going to defend. They give up two goals to a Tunisia team that is not very good. So I, I think their game against England is going to tell us a lot more about what they can actually do. I, I think it has a chance to. I'm not totally sold on that, but but we'll get to that. I will say, the one thing for Belgium, Lukaku is definitely in form and playing well, just given his finishing, I mean, I think against Tunisia and against Panama in their first game, someone like Lukaku's going to get chances, no matter what, but the fact that he's been so clinical in his finishing, I think, tells me that, you know, even though he's been playing lesser opposition, he, he's got something going. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, and you can't really complain, you got Hazard off the mark, he scored twice, Bashuai got himself a goal. I mean, they're, all their main goal threats have scored. So that, that bodes really, really well for them. Yeah. Let's move to a little South Korea-Mexico action. Mexico got their second win in two games, 2-1 over South Korea. Obviously, you were rooting for Mexico. I guess I was maybe slightly rooting for Mexico, but, but mostly watching as a neutral. But I was really annoyed when Mexico was awarded a penalty after the South Korean handball. Not because it wasn't a penalty, it clearly was, but the game had looked pretty good up until that point, probably favoring Mexico. 
And it was just such a stupid penalty to go to give away for the South Korean defender that it was sort of it almost you know made the game a little worse for me since it was pretty good up to that point. Yeah, I mean it, it was dumb. You cannot slide with your arm raised uh, and like not think you're going to give away a penalty. So that, that was just stupid. Um, what I will say though is I was a little worried Mexico would play down to their competition because they have a tendency to do that. I don't think they did this time. I think they were very professional. I think they took care of business. I think that they kind of wrapped it up early, did a good job seeing the game out. Um, I think it's a more mature Mexico team um, than we've seen. And it, it really puts them in the driver's seat in the group. Six points from two matches, no one saw it coming. I think they're they're very happy. Yeah, I certainly would be in that situation. I think, you know, the fact that they've got Attacking players who are playing well. I mean, Lozano looked really good for the second game in a row. He was also, def- you know, one of their better defenders. He he had a couple counters that he broke up, so he looked really good. Chicharito, I know you've been a big fan of his hold up play this tournament, and, and I agree. I think it's really helped Mexico out. So I think they've they've got players who are playing well, and you know they're in the driver's seat as far as winning their group goes. They do. I mean, the one thing that worries me is if they go on to the knockout stages, they're not going to have the best player on the field. Because I think we saw from the, the stoppage time goal that that was uh, Sun Hyung Min, who scored a beautiful, beautiful left-footed curler. So I'm worrying when it's a better team. Um, Mexico doesn't necessarily have that star power. I think maybe the biggest case you can make is probably Lozano. I just wonder if it does them in in the end, if they get to like a quarterfinal or even a semifinal, if they're lucky. But I mean, really, the goal was to make it past the round of 16 and they're on, they're on pace for that, thankfully. Yeah. I mean, having the, the second place player from the Brazil group, which it seems like they're going to get and, and will probably be Switzerland. I mean, we'll see, but I, that's who I would guess it would be is definitely you know, a, a better draw than they had four years ago. Absolutely. But uh, returning to another blowout win from Group G, England defeated Panama 6-1. Harry Kane with a hat-trick. I just want to point out that, okay, so Harry Kane's hat-trick was penalty, penalty, a fluky deflection. England's six goals in general were header off a set-piece, penalty, a really nice Jesse Lingard curler, which credit to them, that was a, a nice goal in overplay, great finish. Header off a set piece, penalty that came after it was given, you know, from a set piece, and then that fluky deflection for Harry Kane's, Harry Kane's hat trick. So, great performance by England, but it's not like they were, you know, scoring goals like Belgium in open play all the time. And, and you know, they had a, a lot of nice play, obviously, but I think just it's kind of funny that they scored six goals and... You know, five of them were from set pieces, basically, or from deflections. Yeah. And if you go back to the Tunisia game, their two goals were from corners. Um, what I'm more mad about is that that hat trick put Harry Kane top of the Golden Boot race, and if he like, and he's literally scored two rebounds from from headers in the Tunisia game, and then he had the two penalties, and that again that deflection off his heel when he's trying to get out of the way of Loftus Cheek's shot. If he wins the Golden Boot, I'm going to be mad because it is just really, really fluky. 
I mean, like at least in the past World Cups, we've had players that have won the Golden Boot that have been great and put finishes. I mean, Moeller in 2010, I think it was, and then 2014 was James Rodriguez. Um, following it up with Harry Kane, the way he's scoring his goals doesn't seem to fit. I, I agree to an extent. I would say, to Harry Kane's credit, he he gets those kind of goals enough, and, and I, I certainly think with the penalties, you can complain about that. But as far as you know, the deflect, you know, the rebound headers or things like that, or the deflected goals, he, that happens enough where I, I think he plays in such a way where he kind of gets those poacher, poachers goals more. So I would say I wouldn't credit entirely to luck, but I definitely am sympathetic to the view that it's less exciting that, that he's winning the golden boot as opposed to someone like Lukaku, whose finishes on all his goals have been really nice and you know definitely has a better highlight rule than Harry Kane, highlight reel than Harry Kane does so far. And Panama scored. Good for them. Uh, but like, um, well, I'm going to call you back because you missed out. Germany two, Sweden one. What a game! Just drama, intrigue, VAR question. I mean, yeah, just wow. I think I, I may have tweeted, "Oh my god," or "Wow," or whatever it was, because I, I was speechless. Yeah, I mean, what an assist from Marco Royce to set up that Tony Cruz winner. Just stopping the ball when <laughs> Tony Cruz, you know, pass it one foot to him. But in all seriousness, that, I mean, that was absolutely incredible. I think, you know, probably not the goal of the tournament in terms of, you know, out of context, but in context, I would, I would say it is just, you know, I mean, that was practically the last kick of the game. Yeah. And I mean, Germany up to that point were so, so frustrated, you know, knowing that they would, only have one point from two games without that goal, and even their hopes of advancing out of the group stage would not be great. And now it it seems like there's just a weight lifted off their shoulders with that one incredible kick from Tony Cruz. Yeah, I mean they were euphoric after that goal. I think they were they were on the ropes. They had Boateng sent off. In fact, a couple minutes prior to that, Sweden had a four on three break, which I think was called back because one of their late arriving runners took out a German player behind the ball. And there was another where Forsberg is in acres of space and um, whoever the Swedish forward was decided to shoot. Um, but now they're in the driver's seat. It's in their hands. If they win, they're in. That's really, I'm pretty sure that that works. So that's really all they need. So, I mean, they're, they're fortunate, but now they're the world champions. You can't give them freebie. Yeah, definitely a really tough break for for Sweden, having played, I think, decently well. I would say, you know, Germany is definitely looking better after that late goal, obviously. But the concerns I had for them after the game against Mexico are still there. I think just defensively, they looked still super vulnerable on the counter. You know, even against Sweden, the team that I think doesn't have as much capability on the counter as Mexico did. So... You know, I think they'll advance now. I think after that goal, they'll definitely play a little better, you know, a little bit of weight off their shoulders. But I, I would say, you know, unless they make some more substantial changes to the way they're playing, I can't see them getting, you know, past the quarters probably just because of how vulnerable they look defensively. Yeah, even if they still get out of the group, I think South Korea's got a lot more pace than we realized. Um, and Germany's still open the counter, so that's something to watch. Now on to what I think 
maybe not the most intriguing, but the most exciting group of the tournament so far. Group H. First, Japan 2, Senegal 2. I mean, Japan looked good. They stuck with Senegal, which I didn't expect. Um, what were your thoughts on the way they played? Yeah, I mean, credit to Japan. I think, you know, they got that win against Colombia, but they were up a man the whole time. And I think, you know, Colombia, despite being down a man, was in that game. And I think I attributed it, I attributed a lot of Japan's success to having an extra man and thought that they would fall off a little bit when they had to play, you know, another really good team in Senegal, you know, 11 on 11. And credit, credit to them. They, they really stepped up. They absolutely deserved that draw. They went behind twice and both times were able to equalize, which was, was really impressive. You know, they're on four points after two games, and I think very deservedly. And they've got a good t- chance to advance, not because of, of anything but how well they've played. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think Senegal expected a little more room on the break, especially once they went up. Um, but I think Japan actually, on the balance, um, might have been the better team, despite not having as many chances. But it was it was just great end-to-end much more exciting. I mean, I expected Japan to be the type of team that bunkered down in the back and hoped to maybe get a goal off a set piece or on a counter. But they, they went out and played with Senegal, a team that physically is more imposing. And they pulled it off, so good for them. Yeah, I mean, no, Takashi Inui, who plays on the left wing for Japan, looked like the best player on the pitch in that game. He ended up with a goal and an assist, I think, I mean, you had goalkeeping errors on both sides for that game that I think probably led to a goal each for both teams. But, I mean, yeah, Japan definitely looks like a pretty solid team, and they've got what's, you know the team that looks like the worst team in the group in Poland for their third game. So I would say their, their chances for advancement look pretty solid. Yeah, they're in good shape, especially because they're playing a Poland team that has looked pretty awful twice, and, I mean... If it was bad against Senegal, they were just torn apart by Colombia. 3-0 goals for, I think it was Yeri Mina, um, Falcao, and Juan Cuadrado. Um, and James Rodriguez played 90 minutes. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he had to, whether or not he was 100% fit. I think you said this on the last episode as well, just given that first first game loss. And given that, you know, there were more expectations for Colombia having done well in the last World Cup and having a really talented squad, you know, I think it, it made sense that, that he was going to start. I think starting him and Quintero was something that I maybe didn't expect, but it, it absolutely worked. I think having both of them on the pitch made Colombia so dangerous offensively, and I would definitely do it going forward. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, they combined to make the first goal off the short corner. I think Quintero played the little reverse pass to Rodriguez, who then floated the ball into Mina. And I actually think that Quintero's assist for Falcao's goal, a first-time pass perfectly weighted, was the pick of the lot. Although, I mean, Hamas's ball to Cuadrado for the third one was great. But they, they're they a dangerous pair. They're both very, very tricky, very good feet, um, have some pace, a good shot on them. So, I mean, they're... Colombia's back. They're finally in rhythm. And, I mean, I, Ospina's going to be fine. That's my one thing. Ospina was a little drama queen today. <laughs> it seemed like he went out injured a half dozen times in that game. Drama queen. 
didn't even take his own goal kicks. Ridiculous. It was pretty funny. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we definitely expected this from Hamas. I was, I was really impressed by Quintero. I mean, I remember watching him for the U23 Columbia team when they played the U.S. in the playoff for Olympic qualification. And, I mean, he, he looked like a star even back then. And I, I think he's certainly lived up to that. Yeah, he's, he's been great this World Cup. He, he was great the first game, too. He scored, a, he scored the free kick. He was their creative spark. We just didn't talk about it as much since they lost to Japan. But he's, he's had a very, very good two games. Yeah. And uh, that wraps up round two of the group stage. Everyone just one game left. Some teams only one game left in this tournament. So we're going to go through the groups, talk about who needs to do what to advance and what we expect. We're not going to talk about the games that, you know, I guess ultimately don't really matter that much, those being Egypt, Saudi Arabia, and Tunisia, Panama, since all those teams are eliminated already, which, you know, unfortunate for a lot of those teams, I would say of those teams, especially Panama, just because they've been, been really excited to be at their first World Cup. Obviously, they were really happy to get, you know, one goal, even though they were down 6-1 at that point against England. And I think, you know, credit to them, they... they earn their place here even if they haven't had a very strong showing yeah big interest here is to see if egypt plays their 45 year old goalkeeper sets the record but otherwise those games don't matter so on the group a uruguay russia both six points uruguay has to win to win the group um what do you expect yeah i mean these are both teams that like we've talked about play very defensively so I think the the onus is on Uruguay to push out a little more since they're the ones who need a win and and Russia would be more than content with a draw. So I would say they would probably do that less than other teams. I think they'll still play somewhat defensively in the beginning of the game. And if they aren't winning, then they might do that a little more. Towards the end, they really don't have anything to lose since a draw and a loss are essentially the same for them. It really doesn't matter. So I think at some point they'll end up pushing up, which I think is good because, you know, if both teams would be fine with a draw, that'd probably be the most boring game of the tournament. So I guess we're a little lucky in that that's the case. I think Uruguay will ultimately get the win just because they've got, you know, enough talent to, I think, score against this Russia team that hasn't really been tested so far. Yeah, I, I think Uruguay is able to nick a goal from somewhere. I don't know if it's a set piece again or Suarez does something magical. But I think they'll win and go on top of the group. Yeah. Uh, the Group B, a little more intrigue. Portugal and Spain, both on four points, currently with the same goal difference and goal f- goals four. Uh, Portugal plays Iran, who's on three points and very much still alive, while Spain plays Morocco, who doesn't have any points and is not going to advance. I think this situation favors Portugal, since Iran realistically has to win to advance. They could hypothetically draw, and then, you know, if Spain loses and then Iran has better goal difference, they'll still advance. But I would, if I were Iran, I wouldn't bet on that happening. So they're probably going to have to push out, which I think favors Portugal, since Portugal will have an easier time against an Iran team that is less defensive than they were against Spain, certainly. Yeah, I mean, if you have Cristiano Ronaldo against a team that's open for a counter, that's going to be great for you. I think Spain's going to have a good time against the Morocco team that likes to play, and they'll play for pride, but I think that Spain comes out, absolutely hammers them, 
and just wins that group outright because they're they're finally able to play an open open game um, and not really have to worry too much defensively since Morocco does not have a clinical striker. So I, I see a blowout there, and I think Portugal makes a couple goals on the counter. They both end up on seven. Spain first on goal difference. I think that's that's a fair comparison. I, I wouldn't be surprised if just because of the way Iran plays, Portugal ends up first, just because they, they've got that advantage as far as what, what teams will be doing. So I, I'd probably pick them to finish first in the group, but I think it's, it's definitely a toss-up, and, and Spain's got a pretty good chance as well. But uh, moving on to Group C, we've got France on six points, Denmark on four, Australia on one, but still with a chance, and then Peru on zero points. Denmark plays France, and Australia plays Peru. France just need to win or draw in order to top their group. They're guaranteed to advance regardless, whereas Denmark will advance with a draw. They'll come in first with a win. If they lose and Australia wins and the goal difference works out in Australia's favor, then Australia will end up advancing at the expense of Denmark. Since Denmark is playing France and Australia is playing an already eliminated Peru team, do you think there's a, a shot at that happening? And you know, how good of a shot? I don't think there's a. I mean, there's a shot, obviously. I don't think it's particularly in Australia's favor, um, because both Denmark and France are fine with the draw. They go through with that. I don't think they're going to necessarily play for it. Um, because I think France needs a little momentum from a win, and they really need to go out and play and make sure that they they continue to look good because they have a tendency to be a team that is good when they're on, but if they're out of form, then they're not going to look great. But I think if they get to, I don't know, the 70th minute and they're still drawing, then they're, they're fine just relaxing, and the, I think they'd both take the draw. But if France comes out, starts hammering Denmark, then Australia's... Australia might go through because I think Australia beats Peru. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely possible. But at the same time, you know, Peru, despite having zero points, has looked pretty good in both of their games. And so is Australia, credit to them. But I think a win for Australia is definitely not, not a guarantee. And so I think just between that and the fact that Peru and Denmark are probably both fine with a draw, that, you know, Denmark does end up going through. Just, I mean, I, I think that's the definitely more likely scenario. So, I mean, I would say this has been my second most favorite group to watch after Group 8. All the games have been fairly enjoyable. But I just think Australia needs a little too much to go in their favor to advance. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. But uh, Group D... We have Iceland playing Croatia and Nigeria playing Argentina. Croatia is currently on top of the group with six points. Because of goal difference, they basically locked up first. And then we have Nigeria on three points and Iceland and Argentina on one. So every team here still has a chance to advance. Obviously, Nigeria is in the driver's seat as far as finishing in second goes. But... You know, which of Iceland and Argentina do you think has a better chance of going through? I think Argentina does, simply because I, I don't really think Iceland can score all that much. And even if they win, I think it'll be tight. Argentina has the capability to, you know, put a two, three goal win on Nigeria and go through, uh, regardless of what Iceland does. 
I think this is Iceland's first World Cup. I mean, I know they did well at the Euros, but that was a Euros where, I mean, you ha- could have three teams from a group advance. They have to to go through. They have to go out and beat Croatia, and I don't know if they can do that the way Croatia looks right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I would expect just because of the position Croatia's in for them to maybe rotate some players. They have Brozovic who's out suspended anyway, so you know they might not be playing one hundred percent because they can lose and it's probably fine. At the same time, they have looked really good. So I think it'll be a challenge for Iceland regardless. I agree. It's sort of crazy to me that, you know, I I would say Argentina does have a a not too bad chance of of advancing. They really just need to beat Nigeria. And, and, you know, Nigeria looked really good in their last game, so I don't think that's, you know, a, a piece of cake by any means, especially with how poor Argentina have looked. But really, they need to win that game, and if they do that, their chances of advancing are pretty solid, which, I mean, I would say, if you're Argentina, I'd count yourself lucky that you're in that situation. Yeah, I mean, if Argentina pulls off a win, I think it's impressive just because there's, you know, reports of maybe they're throwing a mutiny and pulling a France. If they've gotten to that point and they're not winning, but if those... Um, reports are just smoke and mirrors because it hasn't been confirmed, then I think they'll be fine. I think they're going to play pissed off. And I think it'll be enough to beat Nigeria. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's certainly possible. I would say Nigeria looked good enough in their game against Iceland that I would still pick them to advance just because of, you know, Argentina's problems that they've had and and those reports, if certainly true, are worrying for a team that's struggled so far. But... I mean, Argentina definitely has a chance. But moving on to Group E, we've got Brazil and Switzerland on four points, but Brazil ahead on goal difference, Serbia with three points, and Costa Rica eliminated with zero. Serbia and Brazil play, and Switzerland-Costa Rica play. Serbia needs Switzerland to lose if they draw, or they can get a win and have Switzerland tie or lose. But, or actually, no, if, if they win, they'll, they'll be ahead of Brazil. So if, if they beat Brazil, they'll be fine. But, you know, because they're against Brazil, I feel like they're in a, a pretty tough spot, especially with Switzerland playing a Costa Rica team that hasn't looked great. So, I mean, what chances would you give to Serbia, or do you think it'll be Brazil-Switzerland pretty clear-cut? Interestingly, I think that I was reading somewhere that Switzerland can guarantee second with some sort of, I think, draw, which is weird to me. But I, I think I was saying they could do it. I think Brazil and Switzerland are fairly clear-cut. Um, probably not as clear-cut as people are making it out to be, but still I don't necessarily see Serbia getting it. What is interesting, though, is that this is the one instance where you know the, the group that comes first in the alphabet plays later. So the Group F matches are actually going to happen first. So you kind of wonder how much um, a team like Switzerland would want to win that group given that second place could potentially in group F could potentially be Germany. Yeah, that definitely complicates things a bit. Certainly I think you you'd expect if you if you picked anyone, or at least I would, Germany to finish second in that group and Brazil to finish first in their group, which would, you know, set up a rematch of the semifinal, the infamous seven seven one semifinal from last World Cup in the round of 16, which is probably earlier than people would have expected for those two teams to meet if they were going to meet in this World Cup. 
and would definitely be a really intriguing matchup. I don't know. I mean, if I'm Switzerland, playing for a draw doesn't sound all that bad, you know, given the the makeup of Group F and given, you know, I, I'd certainly rather play Mexico if I were Switzerland than play Germany. But at the same time, you know, I think that they're better than Costa Rica to the extent that, you know, if they play with any kind of intent to score, I think they probably will, especially because Costa Rica, you know, with nothing to lose, is probably not going to sit back as much as they have, you know, against Brazil, for example. So I wouldn't be surprised if Switzerland won. That being said, I think Brazil is going to win, and so I think they're going to top the group anyway. So, I mean, we'll we'll see, but I I would be surprised if it wasn't Brazil-Switzerland. Yeah, especially if Germany ends up second. I think Brazil very, very badly wants that rematch and wants to exercise those demons. So if Germany ends up second, I think Brazil is beating Serbia by a completely unnecessary 4-0. Yeah, I would not be surprised. But moving on to Group F, we have Sweden and Germany on three points. Mexico in the lead with six, and then South Korea eliminated with zero. Mexico plays Sweden, and Germany plays South Korea. I would expect that for both Sweden and South Korea, they're going to you know, push out and push forward more than they would like. Sweden, because you know, if, if you're Sweden, you're going to expect that Germany gets some kind of result against South Korea, which means you need a result against Mexico. So you know, they're probably going to go for the win pretty aggressively. South Korea, they're eliminated, and you know, I think they'd like to have a good showing in their last game. And so I, I would expect both of these teams to be more offensive than they have been. And I think that sort of is going to allow Mexico and Germany to, to play more comfortably in attack and you know not be as frustrated as they have been, especially for, for Germany mainly. So I, I would expect Mexico and Germany to both get wins here, but do you think you know other results might play out? I don't think so. I think Mexico-Germany winning is probably the most likely scenario, which leaves them Mexico 1, Germany 2. Um, for Sweden, though, if they win, they're in, because the way the tiebreakers will be set up, they would at least beat out Mexico on goals four between teams in the same we're playing against the same results or whatever it is. So I think Sweden's in the dry. Sweden has it in their own hands. Mexico has it in their own hands. Germany needs help, but I think even if Sweden wins, then I think if Germany wins and they are on the better of a three-way tie, it, it's a little more complicated than it seems, but realistically, none of that matters if Mexico gets points because then you can't have a three-way tie anywhere. But yeah, I think Germany is going to be a bit freer what is going to interest me, though, is um, how the center-back pairing of Rudiger and Hummels is going to do, because that's the third different center-back pairing the Germans have had this tournament, just because Boateng is suspended. Yeah, I mean, I, I would assume that's what Germany goes with, and I would agree. Although, you know, I'm, I'm a little curious. They have Niklas Sula on the bench as well. I, I mean, he played really well this past season for Bayern, so I'm curious if maybe he gets a run out. Just to just to try to shake things up, just because of how not great Germany have looked defensively. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the one thing about Sula is he is not pacey, and you expect to be attacked on the counter, so that's probably not the best bet. Um, but I, it'll be very interesting to see who Love plays, how Germany plays, and how South Korea responds. But yeah, that'll that'll be interesting, but fairly clear cut. 
um, based on the way results need to go. Group G, England and Belgium are through. Literally the same goal difference, goals for everything. So if they draw, it would go down to fair play points where England has the advantage. Yeah, I just... Let me explain this a little further because, you know, this is something that I have looked up multiple times and I still don't really get it. So obviously points determine everything first. And then it goes to goal difference and then goals four and then head-to-head record. So, you know, obviously that wouldn't apply here, but if a team had beaten a team it was tied on and they were on the same everything else, the team that had won the head-to-head matchup would win. And then it goes to all of those things for a three-way tie. But that doesn't apply here either. Fair play points are just such a weird, convoluted system. And I guess, like, sure, having that to as another tiebreaker, because after that, it basically is just random as far as who goes through, makes sense. And the way it works is basically the most amount of fair play points you can have is zero. And then just for cards, you get minus points. So for a yellow card, you get minus one. For a second yellow, you get minus three. For a straight red, you get minus four. And for a yellow and then a straight red after that yellow, you get minus five. And currently, England are on minus two and Belgium are on minus three. And it's such a weird situation where if you're England, if it's looking like a draw, you then are really concerned with not getting any yellow cards, so you maintain that advantage. Because if England and Belgium, Belgium draw, and let's say England is awarded two yellow cards and Belgium is awarded one, they would then be tied on fair play points, which would mean FIFA would randomly pick a team to be first and randomly pick a team to be second. And just this whole situation is really bizarre, and I hope a team wins so it doesn't come to that. Yeah, but also, could you imagine the intrigue there? Again, another situation where Group H plays first, so you know who you play. So that really then makes the cards interesting if you're at that point and you're like, oh, maybe we don't want to win. I'm just going to kick the crap out of the other team. Um, that could that would be just be a weird situation. It's a weird situation all around. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm with you. I hope someone wins. I think Belgium will win. I think they're better attacking. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with that. I also would say they're probably a little more vulnerable defensively. I'm really not sure what to expect from this game just because it, it really is the first real challenge either team is going to face in this World Cup. And I'm definitely it's definitely a game I'm looking forward to a lot because I really want to see how these teams look against you know an opponent that, that can actually a- attack really well. So we'll see. I really don't know how this game is going to turn out, though. I wouldn't be surprised either way. And it may tell us a bit more about each team and their prospects in the knockout rounds as well. And finally, Group H. Japan and Senegal, four points, plus one goal difference. Same goes four. And then Colombia is on three points, but has plus two goal differential. Poland, the only European team already eliminated. Japan plays Poland. Senegal plays Colombia. What do you see happening here? I mean, I think you could make the argument that Senegal is actually in a better position than Japan because Colombia needs a result, whereas Poland is already eliminated and have, you know, and will maybe, you know, not be as as gung-ho attacking as Colombia will be. However, I would probably say that because Poland have looked really bad and Colombia looked really good against Poland, 
you know, if you're Japan, I'm liking where they are because I think they've got a pretty good shot at getting a result. Whereas, you know, Senegal, Colombia, definitely a more intriguing matchup and definitely a game that uh, definitely the game of those two that I'm probably going to spend more time watching. But, you know, if you're Senegal, I would be a little bit concerned that you've got to play this Colombia team that looks really good. Frankly, I think that Colombia end up winning and Japan get a result against Poland. I would say probably Japan first. I think they can win that game and then Colombia second. But, I mean, I think any three of those teams of Japan, Senegal, and Colombia have a pretty good shot at advancing. I think Japan is in really, really good shape playing against a Polish team that hasn't looked that good. If they get anything, they're through. And then Senegal, Colombia, the way I see it, Colombia plays right into Senegal's hands, but this becomes a double-edged sword for Senegal because as we saw against Poland, Colombia can easily rip anybody apart and beat you by three goals. And even if Japan somehow doesn't get something against Poland, then that really, really mess with Senegal's goal differential. They could be out anyway. Um, so that game is going to be intriguing to see how they try to play because neither of those teams is really set up to be more defensive. So I expect that to be end-to-end and just create madness on the final day of round three um, in terms of who advances to the round of 16. Yeah, definitely going to be exciting in Group H as it has been all tournament as well as in a lot of other groups. Definitely, I'm sure we'll, we'll get some shocking result as to someone we thought was going to advance gets eliminated and someone we thought had no chance ends up making it through. But we'll have to wait and see what happens. And we'll be back here for our next episode after round three to recap all of that and look forward to what should be an excellent knockout stages of the World Cup. Uh, until then, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.